for tonight. Um, my first question, so this is the third week of our parable series. I'm going to test you a little bit tonight. What is a parable? Does anyone have an answer? Yes. Addy, go ahead. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That sounds flowery. Any other answers? Yes. A story to explain what to do in your life. Okay. Any other thoughts? What's a parable? Yes? So G- Jesus taught in parables, and the reason he, we call them parables, he called them parables, um, is because the purpose of the story is actually to hide the truth from those that are not looking for the truth, and to show the truth to those that their ears are open to actually hear that truth. And how he does that is he puts the truth inside of a story. Okay. So all the other answers were also good. Okay. I'm not saying you have wrong answers. They're really, it's really nice. This is a good answer. Um, okay. So I just did lost and found. Um, have any of you ever lost something that was like really special to you? And you like to, to, those boots. Perfect. To this day, it still bothers you that you can't find it. Yes. Okay. Hold on. I want you to raise your hand if this is true. There's something that still bothers you to this day that you've lost. All right, Thomas. I can't believe I lost it. You're nice. Yes. Yes. That's a good one. Yes. I lost my favorite sweatshirt when I was six. Favorite. Okay. Like favorite, favorite, favorite. Wear it all the time. He's too distraught. All right, Alec, yes? Just writing a note to talk to you after. Uh, yeah, another? Go ahead, John. Shh. Hold on, go ahead. Your hope for keeping your room clean. That's a great answer. Yes. All right, hands. Yes. My mom lost my 
your bunny? Like, my, my uh, like a live bunny, bunny, not a stuffed bunny. No, my stuffed animal bunny. Oh, stuffed animal bunny. His name was Bunny. <laughs> okay. And Mom put it in the cabinet and then lost Okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this, but I want you to think about, one, how long did you look for it? How, how long have you looked for it? Okay. How long did it take before you gave up, or maybe you're still looking? And why did that thing hold so much value? What was it about that that gave it value? Because my guess is, for most of you, there may be some expensive items in here, but it didn't sound like there were a whole lot. Most of you, that thing had value because you gave it value. That thing had value because you gave it value. And therefore, when you lost it, it had so much value to you that you would go out and find it with whatever it took to find it. Because it was special to you, right? Um, So the third parable tonight is actually three parables um, stacked on each other. Okay? These parables are called the lost parables. So you can go ahead and open up your Bible. We're going to be in Luke 15. Now, as you open to Luke 15, like I said, there's going to be three parables in this chapter. And they're called the lost parables. And they, do, they, they talk about three different things that were lost. Okay. The first thing is a coin. Sorry, no, a sheep, I think. A sheep. A second thing is a coin. And the third thing is a son. Okay. Most of you are going to be probably most familiar with the third story. It's the story of the son, the lost son. But all three of these parables are actually supposed to be um, taught, read together. Okay. So they actually teach us about each one of them as we read them together. So as we look at uh, Luke 15, let's start in verse 1 and, uh, and begin reading. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay. And then we move to the next story here. The parable of the lost coin. 
Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, in each of these stories, and we're going to do the last story here in just a second, but you're going to see this same thing again. The object that is lost actually in itself doesn't hold that much value, especially in these first two stories, right? We're talking about 99 sheep and one. Why is the one important enough to leave a 99 and go after the one? The one is only important enough if the shepherd deems it that valuable. The same thing is true about the coin. One coin. You guys probably throw pennies and quarters out and they're like, whatever. Right? This person lost one coin and is like, I have to find it. She lit the candle. She sweeps the house. She's looking. She's looking. She's looking. And she finds it. And she's like... And it seems kind of funny to us, but again, it seems funny to you because you don't understand the value of that thing to that person. It'd be the same way that with all the things that y'all just mentioned, if someone else in this room found that thing, they wouldn't care. Maybe the Apple Watch is the only thing that's different, right? But for most of the things in here, they would find it and go, garbage. But if you found it, it matters. Why is that? It's because you have given it value. It matters to you. And you would do anything to find it. You see, each of these stories begins with the lost and how it affects the owner. We see right up front, if you haven't connected this, these dots yet, the owner or the searcher in these stories is God. These are stories of the heart of our God. These are stories about the heart of the God of the universe for you and for me. I want us to start to see the heart of God, to still find value in the loss, not just value, but compassion and desire to go after that which is lost because it holds that much value. And I start here tonight because some of you don't know or feel or experience or understand that the heart of God breaks for you. God wants to know you. He would leave the 99 for you to just come to him. And you may look at yourself. You may look at your own life. You may look at your decisions up until this point in time. And you may think, why? I'm not that valuable. No one else in my life thinks I am. I definitely don't think I am. Why would he come after me? 
And what I'm telling you tonight is that the heart of God cares so deeply about you. That if it was just a lost coin, he wouldn't just shrug it off and say, well, too bad. He lights the candle and scrapes the whole house to find it. And it's not just finding it like, oh, great, found it, put it in the wall. No, he finds it and he rejoices. That is the heart of your God for you. The heart that cares deeply that what is lost would be found. And he would give up everything to go do it. So we see in the second story, the story of the prodigal son, where we'll spend most of the night. But I wanted to I wanted you to see these first two parables because they they do two things. They first show you the heart of God. So even as you're starting to read this third lost son parable, you should already be thinking, I know what's going to happen. Right. I know what's going to happen in the father's heart when the son comes back. I just watched it happen in the parables before this. But the second thing that I want you to see from the first two as we start into the second or the third parable in this section is this. Look at verse two of this chapter. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled. Why? This man They don't even call him Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. You believe that? This guy who says he's a teacher, who wants to be respected, who wants to be honored, is eating with dirty, nasty sinners. Oh, seriously? He's brought them to his table. And they're grumbling about this. And as they grumble, Jesus tells these three parables. And we'll deal with the Pharisees here in just a little bit. So let's read um, the parable of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. All right, so pause for a second and talk through this. So the son comes to, comes to dad. He's probably his teenage years. He's the younger son, which means he gets less inheritance. But he comes to his father with the boldness to say, I know it's not time yet for you to give me what's mine, but I want it right now. The father, okay. And so he divides up the inheritance and he gives it to him. And he takes all of it. And I think what we can see from this passage is this is what he does. Because the inheritance would have been land, possibly livestock, things like that. He probably took it all. And what did he do? He probably sold it all. To get as much money as he could. And then he left. So imagine this if you're the father. You have worked Hard for many years to build up land and cattle and wealth. And your 
son takes it and sells it, and you watch it go to someone else. And he goes off and leaves you with all the money. Says into a far country. And it continues that, and he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. You need to understand that, yes, you probably reading this story are going, wow, things have really gone south. But if you're a Jew reading this story, it's much worse than that. The pig is the most disgusting, unclean animal to them. And currently, his state is that he wishes that he could just eat the things that pigs are eating. That's where he's gotten to. He has spent everything that the father gave him recklessly. And he finds himself feeding pigs and wanting to eat what they're eating. And then it says this, and no one gave him anything. You know, I think it's interesting here to pause in the story and realize all the friends, people, those he ran with while he had money have left him. It says, and no one gave him anything. He lost everyone. He didn't have people. He didn't have family. He didn't have anyone. This is probably what we would call rock bottom. I think we can take three things about um, repentance and conversion away from this story. You know, I think the son has an awakening to his true condition. Look at verse 17. He says, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. When we come to Jesus, we have to come awake to ourselves. You and I have to acknowledge no in the deepest parts of us our condition. In order to come. Because if you don't think you are this person, you're never going to come to God. Because you're going to think I have what I need. We have to realize that our true condition is those with a sin problem. Sin has broken us. It has caused death in us and will cause death for us. The second thing in verse 18 we see about repentance and conversion, I think we see an honest confession of one's true sin as you come to the Lord. Verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
Look here and realize the extent of his conviction. It's not just the father would have sinned, but it's sinned against father and heaven. He has an acknowledgement here that the way I have lived my life, the things that I've done that have been given to me, not just by my father, but also by God in heaven, I have completely trashed. I have ruined, I have given away recklessly. And I have sinned greatly. And he acknowledges that before Father on earth and Father in heaven. Verse 19 says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And the last thing here that we see about conversion and repentance is an actual return to the Father. So one, we see a coming to understand the true condition of his heart. The second thing we see is a true repentance, a true conviction before God of his sin. And a third is coming, turning, coming back to the Father. It's not just sitting in the pigsty going, yep, this is who I am. No, it is a coming back to the Father. We see an actual return. He left his sin to return to the Father. When we choose, when we are called by God to leave our sin, to accept grace and forgiveness, we don't sit in the pigsty. We come back to the And now we get to the beautiful part of the story. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Remember that heart of God. See it on the father here. He ran and embraced him. It literally Translated embrace means he fell onto his neck and kissed him. This is the same father who gave what he worked hard for to this son to completely trash. And he sees him from a distance, far off, coming towards him. And he's not doing this. What is he doing? The second I see you, I'm going. My son's back. He's home. This is the heart of God. Way too often, each of us think of God as this. Really? What do you want me to do for you? I'm going to let you back in here. We don't see God as... I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm going to throw my arms around you. I am so glad that you're back. You see, he saw him and felt compassion. 
My question for you is what is stopping you from coming to God in repentance? What is stopping you from coming to God? Is it because you see God in those other ways, not as he truly is? Is it because you actually don't know the heart of God? Is it because you actually don't think you need repentance? Because you haven't come awake to your actual condition and need for repentance. What is stopping you from coming to God in repentance? For this son, it took the low of the low to bring him back. So I want to show two things here. When I said the heart of God earlier, I want you to see how God seeks both brothers here. Okay. So verse 20, we see, but while he was still a long way off, his father kissed him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. This would have meant you are accepted back as a full member of our family. And put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. There may be someone in this room tonight who needs to hear this. No one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. We're not valuable enough anymore. We're not worthy enough anymore, we may think. We don't think God's going to take us back. We don't think he can restore what I've broken. You don't understand, Andrew. I can't go back. What is he going to do with this? And yet he states, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found and he celebrates. If you're lost and apart from God, this is your first application of these parables to you. You are valuable to God even in your lost condition. Remember how we talked before about the God who searches, the God who finds If you're in that place right now and you feel like where you are in your life is a pigsty. No one wants this. I'm not valuable. I'm not worth anything. The Bible says something else. The Bible says that God finds you infinitely valuable and will come back. And he will restore what was broken. He will find what is lost. He will bring to life what is dead. Now we see the second brother in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them what these things meant. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, please come in, come in. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have given me, you have never given me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, notice there he refuses to call him his brother. When this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you filled the fattened, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him this, listen, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, the fact that he slaves away in his father's house really means nothing about his allegiance. Clearly, both sons are cut off from the true source of life. Both of these sons need grace. The problem is that the brother that has sat at home and worked and worked and worked has missed it. He's always had the father. But he thought that his work, that his good deeds, that his obedience is why the father loved him. Do you ever feel like no one is acknowledging your accomplishments or your faithfulness or your goodness or your works? I've spent so much time around this church and other places working hard to be good and acceptable. These people just come in here and get praise. Do you not see everything that I have done for you and how long I've been with you? You might say to God, does it mean nothing to you? I can only imagine during the work that this son was doing, most of it was without joy and delight. Most of it was duty, hard work, pressing, annoying, and grumbling inwardly. Any of y'all there and you're following Jesus right now? I just do it. I just, just got to do the right thing. There's no delight. There's no joy. You do it because that's what you think you're supposed to do. And see, how do we know this in the story? Because it comes to a head when grace is given by the father to the brother. See, this may have been hard to see on the surface. But the second grace was given to someone that didn't seem like they deserved it. It came up. Do you see this in your own life? There's a comparison. There's a weight system. I wanted y'all to hear that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. If you find yourself to not be very joyful, it's probably because you're stuck and enslaved to comparison. And it robs us, comparison does, it robs us of being thankful of the grace in which we stand and give to others. And with, 
um, a quote and a song. We are never so like God as when we rejoice at the salvation of a sinner, and we are never so like Satan as when we despise those who are converted and view ourselves as superior to them. You know, I think about the lyrics of Amazing Grace as I think about these three parables. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. 